We love tales of haunted houses and the ghosts that dwell within. The history that surrounds a haunting is often more interesting than the activity itself. But what about ghosts of killers and their victims? This is not the type of supernatural situation people should look to stir up. But what if the activity is already stirred up and something is crying out from the other side? Could it be the sinister spirit of a killer refusing to face their final judgment? Or worse, the desperate cries of the victims still seeking an understanding of what happened to them and why. Most of us can only imagine, and perhaps that is best, but in some cases, though, someone needs to go to face these phantoms and try to bring resolution to the stories for the lives and memories of all involved. Today, we discuss this with our special guests, psychic medium paranormal investigator Cindy Keza and her on-screen partner in two of the best shot docs airing on Discovery Plus, Steve Shippey. Actor-comedian Jamie Kaler stops by for an upon-further review with a movie that's a real shocker. All that and more when we return with Killer Ghosts here on the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. I'm not going to stand here and listen to this baloney. He won't know. He doesn't stand for baloney. Shippy grew up in a small town near Saginaw, Michigan, and literally was the kid living in that creepy house on the corner. Shippy was a victim of a severe haunting and actually witnessed several apparitions. After investigating his own haunting, he discovered a shocking truth. The previous owners had been brutally murdered. The story became legend. The hauntings never stopped, and Steve and his family ultimate had to, ultimately had to move away their experience stayed with Shippy as he grew older, and he realized that running should not have been the answer. And he has continued to investigate the cases that most should run from. He's the guy running towards them. Hello? The Scream franchise took slasher movies to a whole new level, but behind the film, there's a deeply terrifying true story that inspired the films. In 1990, over the course of three days, police discovered the mutilated bodies of five college students. Danny Rowling, a.k.a. the Gainesville Ripper, claimed that he was possessed by a demon he called Gemini. We made contact with the sinister presence that these murders left behind. He was definitely the most manipulative spirit that I have ever worked with. He wanted everyone to know that evil is real. Since he was executed in 2006, we must attempt to locate his spirit and communicate with Danny. What kind of stuff have you been dealing with? How ghost is in my house. I feel like I'm being so messed with in this investigation. It's definitely not human. These things play for keeps. I'm not Danny Rowling. Get out of my house. Danny, are you here with us? What the hell? Oh my god. Steve Shippy, welcome to the Paranormal 60. Hey, thank you for having me. Man, you are a good looking guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, people confuse us sometimes. I think that's because we're both so strikingly good looking. And I think strikingly. that's, that's however, key. you look like the before I look like the after in this case, you're like the young buck. I've got the old gray, the, the puffiness, dude, you're doing it right. I'll take off the black hat so I don't infringe on the copyrighted look and we don't confuse our listeners and followers anymore, but it is funny. Steve, I love when your new documentaries come out because I get a lot of accolades for how amazing I am as an investigator in those documentaries and how many people think it's me working with Cindy. You think after two seasons of seeing me on the Holzer Files working next to Cindy, they could tell you and I aren't the same guy, but I'll take that as a compliment. 
Yeah, I think it's just, you know, you guys have done so much together. I think sometimes people kind of glance up and they see, you know, a large, large person with a goatee and they're like, yeah, it's that guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that really tells both of us, Steve, they're only watching the show for Cindy, right? Yeah, I think that's <laughs> well, Listen, um, speaking of these documentaries, I mean, you've, you've gone into some very dark territory. And I'm wondering, has there been any regrets in doing these kind of cases and, and dragging those secrets out from the shadows? You know, I wouldn't say necessarily regrets, but the one thing I can say for sure is that it's a lot different than, um, of course, than like a private residence case or going to a, a bread, bed and breakfast or a hotel and, you know, and just trying to help people understand uh, what are these strange things that are happening and, and kind of peeling back those layers. I mean, you know, sometimes those can be a little unnerving, but these cases, you know, they take quite a toll because you're constantly, um, I mean, number one, you're dealing with really malevolent spirits, but then also when you're just digging into the case facts, you're having to come through crime scene photos um, and, and reading all these police reports and everything is right. super disturbing. That psychology has got to eat away at you to, you know, it's one thing when we go to a, you know, Lizzie Borden bed and breakfast and you investigate the place, but it's another thing to have looked at those murder photographs, to have seen the skulls, to have seen the hatchet and, and then be in there. I know when we did the curse of Lizzie Borden shock doc, that, that really makes it even more unsettling because it's not just some urban legend ghost story. There's a real history and story and death and murder behind these tragic deaths. Yeah. Yeah. That was an unnerving shock doc to watch too, the way it affected you guys. It, um, it resonates with me when you, you know, these type of cases, they're gonna, they're gonna reach out and tap you one way or the other. Right. Well, speaking of that, which one of these cases and, and the, the shock doc scream, the true story of the Gainesville Ripper. And of course the first one that came out, Ed Gein, the real psycho, which one impacted you more? That's really difficult to say. I mean, it's almost, equal um in two different ways gein was very uh, that was a very psychological case for me you know it just it, it felt like this presence was with us uh with cindy and i pretty much anywhere we went or any anybody that would talk about gein or come forward and interview with us his presence or that energy would would just be there and it was almost like a predator stalking the prey mm type of vibe. And when, and when, when it comes to Danny Rowlings, that, that was kind of, it, it was similar, but different in a sense where, you know, you felt like at times you were connecting with Danny Rowling, but then it also made you really wonder was something else manipulating you uh, to believe it was Danny. And then sometimes you felt it was both and you just, you just never knew um, it was, it was creepy. You know, it makes me wonder when we go into these situations, you know, are we really communicating with the spirit or are we can communicating with the perceived image of the being that so many people have projected out there, not knowing full truths, not knowing the full backstories. And I'm not trying to, you know, dismiss how terrifying and, and horrible their crimes are, but more along the lines of, you know, the reality versus the fiction of these stories. Do you think that, you know, the Tulpa situation, the thought form, do you think that you ever run into a darker, more malevolent version? Because that's what people have projected into the, you know, atmosphere for over a decade. I think that's a extremely intelligent theory. And, and I do think there's a lot of basis for things like that. Um, I do think that, I think we see that quite often in a, mm -hmm. Dave, I think you probably would agree with that too, and, and especially more so in a in an environment where there's not a lot of facts. You know, when you go to investigate a home per se, and there was definitely some dark things happening, but it's almost like that fear and that reputation right. builds and builds, and they start putting so much of that energy out. It's almost like darker spirits can come in and feed off of that, and it's almost manifesting people's fears. Uh, you know, because I believe evil will uh, thrive on that type of thing. We talked about it last time. Cindy's tough. She goes into these locations. But, you know, as as, you're, as being her friend, you kind of have this protector vibe, right? Both of us had watching her go in. Were there ever times during either episode where you were almost at the point of thinking, I, I might need to pull her out 
I might need to get her away from this. This is this is too much, too dark. Definitely. Um, there was a when we were doing Gein, uh, she was doing remote viewing, and uh, she was you know seeing things that you know happened to the victims and and connecting and you know I started to <clears throat> really worry about her at that moment because you can you know I'm sure you worked with her so much um, as, right. as compared to my, myself, but I've worked with her enough now that I can see when she kind of really is going to that place. It's almost like she's not really there with you anymore. Um, and she's communicating words, but you don't feel like she's there. That was one moment, but obviously, uh, definitely with the scream shock doc, you know, the, the experiment we decided to do, um, with the sensory deprivation, right. I think we could have done without that. And I knew it was very quickly time to end that, uh, fast. Yeah. I will say I, uh, Working on a new project, I did a form of sensory deprivation, and I can't understand how Cindy, being that open, could handle that. It absolutely destroyed me. Absolutely destroyed me. And I'm not a medium. I'm not sensitive in that sense, at least not to my knowledge. But this thing tore the the top off for me. So that is that's terrifying. Is that something that you ever wish you you had more of that ability in these situations? Or are you glad to just leave that to experts and specialists so that you don't have to take home more of that paranormal psychological goop. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think I'm glad I don't necessarily have that exact skill set. but, um, you know, and I, I would, uh, in fact, I'd like to ask you, I'm, I'm assuming after all these years of doing this, it's, um, you know, sometimes when you're on an investigation with people, you know, you, you kind of sense things and then sure enough, it happens and people are like, well, how did you know? And it's, it, to me, it's more like, I don't want to, it's maybe a weird analogy, but it's almost like, you know, if you've been a hunter or a tracker for so many years and you put that person in their environment out in the wilderness, you're going to see the little details and hear the little sounds to, you know, really hone in on that quicker than someone who maybe hasn't done it for, for so many years. But sometimes you wonder if, um, cause I think, you know, we all have somewhat of a, a sensory gift. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you know, we're not all mediums, obviously that's a whole different thing, but I feel like, uh, the more that we're around the spirit world, uh, the more that you can, you know, kind of adapt to those senses to some degree. What I've noticed working with Cindy is she hears in a different way, right? She's hearing from kind of this etheric realm. And there are times she's so tapped into that she's not hearing what's going on in the room with us or upstairs. And Shane and I have pointed out there's somebody walking upstairs. She's like, what? I don't hear that. And we can very clearly, but it's like, she's tuned into the FM dial. We're tuned into the AM. We're grounded. We're hearing what's going on in the reality of the space we're in, not in the spirituality of the location. So we're having varied experiences and that can be really unsettling. And that's what I've noticed with her is she gets very unnerved when it's no longer just something she's hearing, but that it's out loud that there's, you know, it's, it's it's broken through the veil to be something that everybody's experiencing when we get those really strong EVP and I've seen her react the same on on the shock docs with you. It's it's unsettling. And sometimes that's un, unsettling to me as an investigator that when she's that unnerved by it, then I start wondering, what is she not telling me? Is there something else coming in on this that I should be worried about? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. There's um, when I see, you know, Cindy react a certain way to what's happening. That's kind of my first thought, too, is, OK, you know, how bad is this? Uh, what do I not know? Uh, what are you seeing and hearing that I'm not? You know, obviously, we're going to talk to Cindy in a little bit and, and talk to her about working on these kind of projects. But being the investigators, there's something. Do you, do you have a protocol after doing something like this, like such a dark case, do you have to take time back and away from another investigation of that ilk? You know, there's a few different things. And I don't know, it might sound silly or it might not. I guess, you know, we probably all have our own type of thing. But I think, you know, for me personally, I feel like um, well, I mean, number one, if you really think there's an attachment, I guess that's kind of a whole different story. But for me, it's uh, kind of, you know, submerging yourself into um, daylight. I know that sounds weird, just getting no. out there, uh, doing stuff with friends, family. Um, sometimes I'll go out of my way to do something really good for somebody, uh, you know, kind of a charitable thing um, and just 
kind of do the do feel and be in a place that's exactly the opposite of where you just were and just kind of let that, you know, wash it away for a while. And then uh, once that's, you know, you've kind of hit that point, you kind of think of the stronger things, you know, do, do, did we help somebody like, in you know, the scream shock doc, uh, Sheila's voicemail at the end. And knowing that, you know, things got a lot better for her, it's like you can kind of grab onto those things and say, uh, good came out of this. Right. You know, and uh, just kind of then move on to the next one. Is is there a big difference in the way you prepare for going in to say investigate, you know, the Schrader family home and they're hearing bumps and, you know, sometimes a, a male voice calling out and then going to a location where a serial killer murdered somebody? Yeah, to me, it's kind of a whole, um, it's kind of a whole process. I go through a lot of, you know, digging into the history, really getting the facts, almost going into it almost first, uh, is almost like as a journalist, mm-hmm. you know, kind of keeping a, a filter between myself and the reality. Right. Um, kind of, I, I guess, you know, maybe from years of doing camera work, it's almost kind of like, you know, you can go into a really crazy situation, but if you're, uh, holding that camera and looking through a lens, it's almost a separation for you. And, uh, you know, going into it with that frame of mind, but then of course all bets are off when you're now in the location and you're right. using devices and you're reaching out for communication. You've got people around the world watching your specials, watching these shows. They're learning from your other programs that you've done. What advice would you give to somebody that is going to steep themselves in a very dark location like this, as opposed to just the mom and pop variety ghost? You know, I would say no matter what, I feel that you have to, you have to go in. I think really in in any investigation, you have to go in very whole as much as possible. And, you know, Dave, you, uh, you're a really great example for that. You know, when I listen to your podcasts and and, uh, even just your social media posts, you always talk about darkness and you talk about light and you bring in love and happiness into uh, this type of topic and this type of uh, activity. I think that that's really important because people, you can get lost quickly. Um, That's what I would say to somebody who's just starting. Um, Don't become obsessed with it. Stay objective to it. Uh, Why are you investigating? Uh, What is, what is your motive for investigating? What is the potential outcome? Um, And don't be too skeptical. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, sure, be skeptical of, of your evidence and analyze it, but don't walk into a place and, and have that um, cynicism, I think, is yeah, what you're you looking know, for. Yeah, it's going to attach to me. Um, you know, I have nothing to worry about, you know, because it's at those moments, you know, where something can come out and, and reach out to you. And I, I think you have to respect everything, sometimes even the unrespectable, uh, just to know that there is powers out there and there's forces out there that, you know, can really change things up for you um, if you go about it the wrong way. So you have to be very strong, I think, within, um, because man, you know, sometimes it's wild. You, uh, you see some investigations, you know, that are um, kind of more underground type of thing and, or people will go live and uh, you'll see them kind of inebriated while they're at certain places. You just kind of think, Oh man, that's a recipe for, for danger. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess strong, you know, strong mind, strong body, um, you know, have some love and passion for everybody involved in yourself before you go in. Can we look forward to another pairing with you and Cindy delving into yet another true crime supernatural story? I think that's probably going to happen. You know, it's 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 interesting when when we uh, first worked together, uh, which would have been Ed Gein, the real psycho. I, I truly never thought I would ever investigate a case like that because I guess how often does something right. like that come your way? Uh, but it seems that, um, you know, one led into another and I, I'm most certain it'll probably lead into another. Well, folks, check it out on Discovery Plus. You can see um, Scream, the true story behind the Gainesville Ripper that inspired the Scream series. And you can also check out Ed Gein, the real psycho on Discovery Plus. We have a link up for Steve so you can follow him on his social media and his website so you know what's going on. Let's, uh, as we say goodbye to you, Steve, thanks again for stopping by. Let's take a look at the Ed Gein trailer. He was Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, inspired Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. 
People around the world have become fascinated with the crimes of Ed Gein and glorified what he did to his victims. Mutilating corpses, taking their skin and body parts and putting it on his own body. A chair upholstered with human skin. Hey Ed, tell us how you're feeling. It's a perverted body. The mind of Ed Gein, it's a terrifying place. It's very terrifying. You can only imagine how much the Ed Gein murders affected this community. I've known him ever since he was a little boy. With everything that happened over all those years, there's a pretty widespread belief that this is a haunted area. I've never experienced anything like this, ever. <gasps> that was a woman crying. Right now, we are at the Ed Gein Farm. This will be the first time in history anyone has been allowed back on the Ed Gein property to investigate. I keep hearing him say, I think mother would be proud. A mother would be proud of the work I did. Are you talking about wearing other people's skin? I got chills. Everybody has to be really, really careful because we're about to kick the hornet's nest. Check out Discovery Plus for the best in shock docs. And remember, check out my shock doc, The Curse of Lizzie Borden. And you can also find demons in the White House. Now it's time for upon further review. Ladies and gentlemen, every time he comes here, you just tell me you want him back. And apparently he's just masochistic enough to continue to do so. Jamie, do you just hate yourself or are you just hoping eventually I'm going to treat you well and give you something worthy of your time? <laughs> are you kidding? I love doing this. My favorite thing. And speaking of shock, mm-hmm. we got a big one today. You know, I love the movies, man. I love, I love, uh, I love everything you're doing. And um, yeah, we got a big movie to talk about today. All right, well, let's give everybody a little taste of one of my favorite movies. From Wes Craven. Don't let him take your soul. Come on! Director of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Come on, Comes his most terrifying creation. No more! 100,000 volts of pure evil. Shocker. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Radar starts Friday at a theater near you. No more Mr. Nice Guy. Dude, Mitch Pileggi from the X-Files as a murderous, ravenous killer that can travel through your television set. With Peter Berg, the director of uh, Friday Night Lights. Right. Boy Horizon. Yeah, a bunch of stuff. That's Is that a, a surprise to you to see that somebody that comes with that kind of pedigree as well as cutting their teeth with Wes Craven. No, no. By this time he'd already done um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Wes Craven was pretty, you know, when it's, it's not just shocker, it's Wes Craven's shocker. Shocker. I mean, that's like Tarantino level of like, basically they're saying, look, the movie's irrelevant. It's me. (laughs) Right. Whatever it is, it always says Quentin Tarantino's seventh film. Right. All right, brother. We get, we got it, we got it, we got. It. Wes Craven's like, yeah, he puts his name above the title. Rob Zombies, the yeah. Monsters. I don't know that I'm looking forward to that. Man. House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes. What a thousand corpses in one house. Mm-hmm. That seems very. How big's the house? Better be big. Yeah. Like a lot of. Corpses. Like they're just showing off at that point, really. At that point, I mean, like, <laughs> like two corpses isn't terrifying. Where he's like, no, that was the writers' meeting of like, what if it's like ten corpses? No. A thousand, one thousand corpses. See, I think that would just, it's like when you go into a tchotchke shop and there are so many antiques on a shelf that you just can't process it. I think that's, if there were just a thousand bodies around, you'd just be like, "Hmm, this is weird. At that point, you're like, wait, maybe I'm dead. Like, who's alive? Everyone's dead. This is, yeah. Shocker was, here's the shocker. Mm Mm-hmm. It's close. It's so close. It really could have been. It could be a great. And here's the funny thing. Peter Berg should remake it. I agree. The special effects weren't ready for it. It looks like the budget was a little low. And also, I don't know about you, but the script is all over the place where they they don't have everything. Um, There's so much going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Because here's the premise. Here's the premise. The guy uses electricity to he he beats the electric chair by slowly continually charged he's building up a resistance it's like the guy who who who's drinking rattlesnake poison and then he gets bit and he goes didn't even feel it 
And then he gets the electric chair where, by the way, he escapes from the electric chair chamber, basically. It's all over the place. He's riding the white lightning. The electricity. Later, he travels through television. Which the is, ring, the ring the ripped him off. Waves, right? Those are different waves, like there's electricity, and then there's uh, RD waves. What he also um, apparently Wes Craven at that point he must have been in the middle and gone like, you know what? We need to add some dream stuff because because right. the Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah, they're all over right. the place. He right. can he can go in your dreams. He can use by electricity. Oh, and then. He can change from body to body, which, by the way, fallen with uh, Denzel Washington. They must have seen this and gone, all right, we can let's just follow that train of thought. Yeah. So how cool. cool would it be if, you know, like in the in the in the realm of Scream, which Wes Craven also created? What if we just like what if we had a movie, not in the schlocky kind of Wayans Brothers comedy way, but what if what if just one movie unleashed all of Wes Craven's creatures? on the planet, like the last house on the left and Freddie and shocker and all of his characters just kind of ended up coming together for just one giant melee like Avengers where they go. All right, listen, yes. Everyone's got their own thing, but what if we all got together and then fought universal? Yeah. Everybody just killing everybody. That would be awesome. I would totally sign up for that. Of course well, I'd have to be high, but I would definitely sign up to watch also, it. So he basically, he kills his whole family. Right. But then we find out, I mean, we, we can spoil things, right? It's been 30-something years. Yeah, I guess. He's the dad, apparently. And the, what? And the li- and here's the best thing. So mm-hmm. he, he has a horrible – he got shot through the knee by Peter Berg when Peter Berg was a kid, which is why Peter Berg gets adopted by the cop. Then the father kills the f- cop family. and But here's when he transfers bodies, he still limps. Like the you're like, well, that body didn't have a bad leg when you got into it. Why why is this limping? It's and a then, psychological thing. Yeah, and then just on top of it, they must have been in the writer's room of like, look, we need one more. There's gotta be another hook. And the guy goes, What if there's a necklace, uh, a heart-shaped necklace from K's that if you hold up in front of him, he it's like it's like garlic to a vampire. The whole thing is Titanic two. It's you so see the shocker's crazy. hand come up out of the water holding the, the heart-shaped necklace, and end, it begins again. At the end, they both dive into the television, <laughs> and they square off on a battle that yeah. just goes through what's ever on TV, whether it's the footage from the Hindenburg yeah. or they go through a sitcom set. Yes. It was, what was that show with um, – it was on HBO. Uh, Punky Brewster. <laughs> yes, no. Where the guy goes into television, and the, everyone's done that hook. Right, yeah. room, I think they go into yeah. the TV. There's like 50 different premises of horror films within the confines of this one film, and it's it's not it's not scary at all, and it's the bloodiest <laughs> of Wes Craven's films. And the whole time you're like, really? Yeah, the guy's like, I'm gonna kill you in his orange jumpsuit. And the whole time, <laughs> he literally kills everybody, and even then you're like, meh. He also can't shoot. Like he's stabbing people. He finally becomes a cop, and then he shoots from like like ten feet away. Like a ton of bullets at Peter Berg doesn't hit him once. Doesn't hit him once. Then <laughs> apparently then comes from a long line of stormtroopers, right? <laughs> Even I wanted. To, I want to talk to Wes Craven about what's happening. Oh, by the way, the uh, in the fight scene, he goes in when they jump into the TV. They fight in a Lucille Ball show. They fight with Alice Cooper, the heavy rock guy, and then they, they fight in the Hindenburg. The whole oh, and then later he jumps out and he grabs the remote control and he's moving him with the remote control from 1989. Oh, That's oh. awesome. Wouldn't it be great if they'd have like tripped into like Leave It to Beaverland or the Monkeys? <laughs> Just show uh, up in the Monkeys. They do go to Leave It to Beaver. I don't remember. Did they you really? Know, oh they my go, god! And, and Peter Berg's. Ca- they're in the car. Beaver's in the front seat. Wally's in the back saying Beaver. And then Peter Berg comes up by the window and goes, Beaver, Beaver. And then the car uh, drives away. He goes in to leave it to Beaver. So Mike Judge apparently saw that and spawned Beavis and Butthead, right? It's exactly <laughs> he said right. Beaver. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Also, this heavy metal galore. Sure. What was the 80s, I mean, man? There's a Megadeth song in there that's actually pretty great. Well, you've got, who was it? My mind's blanking right now. 
uh, not Metallica. Well, Alice Cooper did the man behind the mask for one of the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah, there was a lot of metal back then. I think Anthrax did one of the themes, too, for Nightmare. So very cool. Uh, what do you think? All right. So, again, one Phantom no bueno five phantoms this movie everybody should see where are we at with shocker i mean how how high are people when they're watching this that's the question <laughs> all right so one blunt to five blunts, one blunt to five blunts. <laughs> so if i'm sitting it at was, about a three blunt where are we at on this movie it's super listen it's it, it reminds it's like dreamscape or enemy mine it's of that era of like movies where you're like i seem to remember this being pretty good and then you watch it you're like wow special effects have come a long way watch yeah. shocker and then go watch just Mitchell's versus the machines or Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or just just watch the screensaver on your Apple TV <laughs> with the jellyfish going yeah. up and down. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You're like, is this even a show? Am I flying over Hawaii? This is insane. Yeah. When did we get jellyfish, right? <laughs> Everyone's getting streaming platforms. No, no, no. I just all I did was buy Apple TV and then I just watched the screensaver where I'm like, Am I going over the pier in Santa Monica? This is amazing. I mean, the special effects are in oh, and no, by the way, there's a ghost in there too. The girlfriend comes back as a ghost. Mm -hmm. They were like it was like a monster squad where you're like, well, we got werewolves, vampires, Frankenstein, and a mummy all together. Where you're like, well, that's ancient Egypt. This is Transylvania. This is the guy created a body. and But they put all the monsters together. In this one, they took every uh, horror storyline and were like, what if we added this? What if? What if we did one more? By the end, you're like, I'm so confused of the law. Like, I need logic somewhat, right? You got to have. You got like, to have that. Yeah. Well, there's. Back to the Future is time travel, but it's the best ever because everything makes exact sense. Where other ones, you're like, well, that's there's just a hole. Nobody look at this, right? It's a Nobody leap of faith. Yeah. Black hole in the middle of this script. And Shocker has a lot of those where you're like, all right, back up. Wait a minute. He's shooting at him, but he climbs the electrical tower. And then because it's a TV dish, Shocker goes, you know what? I'm going into the TV. Where, like the whole thing defies even the craziest logic. I know You've got to have that uh, suspension of disbelief. But sometimes there are scenes where you're just like, I, no, I can't even give it that. Like in Dragon Wars, when I saw actor, comedian Jamie Kaler flying a helicopter, took me right out of it. I'm like, there's no way that idiot can fly a, a helicopter. Fly. I mean, he could get eaten by a dragon. By right. Way. And he did very no well. No chance that dude could fly a helicopter. <laughs> All right. So how many phantoms? One out of five. How many are you going to give shock? I'll, I'll give it a three. It's actually, it's super, it's super funny of that era. Sure. Uh, and for that era, I remember seeing it in the theaters and it was fun. It's fun. It's not Wes Craven's best, but it's, you know, if it's on on a weekend night and you want a good laugh and a couple of scares, it's actually a pretty fun movie. So you heard it right here. Jamie Kaler. It was a longer movie than a, an hour and eight minutes and an hour and three minutes. So it was actually it was too long. All of a sudden, I mean, the last 50, you're like, this field movie feels over. And they go, no, no, now we're about to go into the television world. I was like, wait, what happened? And you were electricity. Then you could touch someone and go from body to body. Now you're going in, coming out of the television, like the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, wait. Yeah. It so was, this is one of those that there's like multiple endpoints, and they just decided, like the Clue movie, right? Depending on which theater you could go to, there was a different ending. So uh, do you think Wes Craven made like five different endings? He's like, eh, just run them all back to back. We'll just continue seeing where we go with this. Certain movies, I just end at a certain, like in a certain point. Was this yeah. his apocalypse now, his kind of albatross? Well, I don't know about you, but when um, in Django, when Christoph Waltz dies, Mm-hmm. The movie's over. Like there's certain movies where when one character dies and then everyone starts to get up at the movie theater and they go, wait, this is, we're still doing this. There's still more. Mm -hmm. Like, but as soon as, as soon as some characters are over, you're like, yeah, this movie's, they end, this movie should have ended 20 minutes ago. Kind of like when somebody gets slapped at the Academy Awards, that's really the time to pull the plug and just, just end it. My out of your mouth. 
Keep it out of your mouth. I will be happy to do so. Jamie Kaler, you guys can check him out every Tuesday night along with his on-air parenting partner, Jason Gowan. And uh, yeah, you guys can check out the Parents Lounge. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Facebook. All of the amazing artwork behind him is from thousands and thousands and countless fans from around the world that have sent it in. Or, or my two children, whichever yeah. one you choose to be. I just thought it would sound better if, you know, sound like those were adult pictures drawn. <laughs> <laughs> my little girls drew them and they're so cute. Very cool. Jamie Kaler, as always, thank you for stopping by. All right, folks, we have got to, uh, we got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to be joined by my good friend, the one and the only, the very lovable and affable queen of the screen, Miss Cindy Kaza, right here on the Paranormal 60. Guys, guys, no, 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 no. Look at this, look at this, look at this. This sounds awesome. The Oregon Bigfoot Festival and beyond. July 30th, 2022 at the Clackamas County Fairgrounds in Canby, Oregon. Hey, look at that right there. Oh, yeah. So general admission is $25 online or $35 at the gate. But that includes admission to the Monsters and Mayhem show featuring Jason Hawes of Ghost Hunters and Cliff Berrickman of Finding Bigfoot. Oh, oh, and even more. Oh, wow, look at them all. Cool. It's going to be awesome. See, baby, you guys thinking what I'm thinking? Tickets are available at OregonBigfootFestival.com. Hey, things are about to get squatchy again. Here's how I used Mother Nature's magic to crush my fitness goals. I love the Snarky Tea Get Fit Starter Kit. It's all natural, delicious, and they deliver on their promises. Best part, it's half the price of other detox teas. I drink the daily detox in the morning for gut health and the cleanse two times a week after the gym for bloating and weight management. Add this kit to your fitness journey. It works so well. And right now, new customers, you'll get 10% off your first order. People love Snarky Tea's six-week Get Fit Starter Kit. Why? Because Snarky Tea utilizes mother nature's magic to help you crush your fitness goals with spicy ginger to support digestion comforting dandelion to support detoxification and gentle holy basil to support purification the daily detox blend is the perfect way to kickstart your wellness journey and in our gentle cleanse blend with activating fenugreek for bloating and relieving senna leaf to support deep cleansing and you've got the perfect post-workout companion. What are you waiting for? Get started today. Grab the Snarky Tea Get Fit Kit by visiting snarkytea.com. That's snarkytea.com backslash get fit. Snarkytea.com backslash get fit. All right, it's time to visit with our next guest. You've seen her as the psychic medium investigator from the Holzer Files. She's been on Portals to Hell, the Osbournes, and countless other programs. She is also the co-star of two of my favorite shock docs that have been released so far, Ed Gein, The Real Psycho, and Scream, The True Story, The Real Story of the Gainesville Ripper. Ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome back to the program and her first time on the Paranormal 60, the one, the only, Cindy Kaza. Hey, Cindy. What's up, Dave? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot. Listen, I've, we've had a chance to work. We've been out to locations and seen some remarkable things. And I had a quick question for you. Now, um, this is your second serial killer case right. that, that you that you worked. Is is one case Ed Gein or the Gainesville killer? Is one case more, I guess, wearing on you as as a psychic medium to have had to work? I think um, the Danny Rowling case for sure, because going into that case and even in the initial, um, you know, scene that I'm in, in the shock doc where we're walking through the woods, I had never felt really so confused by a spirit. And I think I use the word manipulated because of the energy that I was experiencing. It was, it was really, really, um, it was scary for me to, to really not feel like I had my bearing straight, to feel like I didn't know what was what. And 
I mean, it really actually forced me to go a lot deeper into really trying to to feel into the possibilities of what can happen to somebody like that when they pass away and what can happen to the, their soul and what can happen to the fragments of their soul. So for me, it was a really good learning experience. Yeah, talking about those fragments, right? And it's something that you and I have been discussing a lot. Um, these fragments, these terrible little bits of our psyche, our, our wounded soul that's been left behind from these tragic events are those pieces that will ever find peace or are they just slivers in time that will always remain there yeah you know i don't think that that's a question that i could answer definitively i mean i think that that would be really bold of me to say that i i can answer that with certainty but in my experience so far as medium it seems to me like those fragmented aspects of the soul want to be reintegrated to the whole right they want to but then we also have to remember that that it's the soul's choice so as mediums we can go in and we can communicate with those aspects of the soul but we definitely are not the reason that they reintegrate if they do we can be helpful but you know any medium that says i cross that soul over because you hear people saying taking responsibility for it I, I think that that's that's the wrong way to look at it i think we can be helpful but but at the end of the day the soul has to be a part of that healing process part of that uh that wholeness now you believe in reincarnation correct i do i for sure i do Mm -hmm. Do you think that people that are born with, with, and again, I'm, I, I know you're not a psychologist or, you know, but I'm just curious on, on the mediumistic and psychic sense of this people that have been reincarnated that are maybe fractured souls themselves that are, are, are schizophrenic that are, are broken in that sense. Do you think it's because so much of parts of them have been left behind from traumatic experiences in other lifetimes that that's why they're not whole and complete here? Oof. I mean, that's a really tricky question to answer because there's so many different things that could be happening um, when somebody is suffering from schizophrenia. I mean, schizophrenia is a mental illness. There's a chemical imbalance in the brain, but there are also people who have been labeled schizophrenics that are actually just very psychic and very mediumistic, you know? So there's, uh, there's overlap there. There's overlap there, right? Um, mm -hmm. Do I think that it could be caused from somebody who had a lot of trauma in a past life or may maybe, but I mean, I think I would, I really believe this when I say this souls that choose to come in to live lives where they're suffering so extremely from a mental illness or, or whatever. I mean, to me, I think they're old souls because who can endure that? I mean, honestly, who can endure that? There's a lot of wisdom somewhere in there, you know? Um, but sure, I mean, look, like we can be fragmented in this lifetime and then have trauma from a past life that comes into this lifetime and we cannot know what is what. Um, but it's tricky. It's like I can't I can't make a blanket statement because that is something where there could be like multiple answers, you know. Right. Yeah. Just yeah, trying. I know we all we all want to put things in a little box, box, compartmentalize it, right, and make sense of it. It just it seems like if these souls reincarnate and we've left these pieces behind these aspects, uh, the traumatic aspects of, of who we are, maybe that's part of the evolution. Maybe the next soul, maybe the next life is you're 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 cleaner. You're you're you know you're you're sh sheathing off that like a snake sheds its skin. I. It's so bizarre to me to, to have that happen. Do you, do you believe in the, the reclamation of the soul? I know that there are, um, healers out there that do, I think it's called soul reclamation, right? Where they do these process where they help bring back in this lifetime pieces of yourself that you've left behind through trauma right. and attachments. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand on that kind of ability? Well, you know, there's something that, that some, you know, um, energy workers do or healers, whatever you want to call them. It's, it's called part, like a parts integration where mm -hmm. they'll take you back into a past life, even into this life. And you go further and further back and you find this fragmented piece that's causing you pain. And then you do a visual, visualization where you reintegrate that piece into your whole, right? Into the whole. Um, do I think it's useful? Sure. I mean, I think that the more whole that we can become in this lifetime, the easier life can be. But then we have to understand what does it mean to be whole? And I think we're trying to figure out what that actually means. Like, what does that mean? Right? Because we're programmed to believe that being whole means having wealth. Being whole means having, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, whatever you, you've been socialized to believe wholeness represents. We're programmed that way. So we have to deprogram ourselves and really understand what it means to be whole. And, um, and I think that that's what's super tricky for people is that, that, 
and me too. I mean, we're all trying to figure this out. And if, imagine being on the other side, right? Like, so if, if you have that fragmented aspect of the soul that's then shot to the other side, that's still in that programming, then there's that piece too. So oh, I wouldn't, it, it, that, that seems like it could be a sticky wicket. If you're in this lifetime asking a practitioner to help pull back all the fragmented pieces of your soul that have been left through time and tide, if you've got, if these are bar- broken, dark pieces left back there and you pull them back in, does that become a weight you carry in this life? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. And, and, you know, and I, 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 the more work that I do on myself, I think I'm hoping the clearer that I'm becoming on some of this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Look, I cannot speak with certainty on anything. So I'm just want to throw that out there. But the thing is, is, you know, in, in our culture, we're very much conditioned to avoid looking at our shadow aspects. We all have a shadow aspect and we're a, we avoid it. We avoid it like the plague and then it comes back to haunt us. So as you become, you know, more comfortable looking at those aspects of yourself and integrating them into your whole and loving them, it's, it's not as scary to integrate this piece from a past life that may have been darker because you're reclaiming it. You're able to look at it. You're able to send it love and you're able to look at it for what it is. And it doesn't become the shameful thing anymore because there's so much shame uh, around looking at the shadow. And that is a huge um, problem because people are avoiding it. And then they're, they're, living in duality, which we're living in a plane of duality anyway, but even with inside themselves. So, well, right. Talking about the duality, right? You've got these killers who live two separate lives, right? They're the handyman, the local guy, everybody's had a beer with, knows, partied with, blah, blah, blah. And then they've got this much, much darker aspect in death. Um, and I know you're empathic. I know you, you pick up on feelings and sense and you, you have a good heart and, in that, do you ever sense that these spirits of the killers themselves are wounded, that they're they're confused in death and not completely, knowing what took place? Completely. Well, in, especially in the Danny Rowling case, because I was encountering one aspect of his soul where I had so much compassion for him. I saw how he had been abused. I, I really felt bad for him. And then I saw the other aspect of the soul that was, it felt like a monster, right? Mm-hmm. And then I I became upset because I didn't know which one was which if he was trying to manipulate me. And then after I realized, no, it is possible for somebody to have two masks, somebody to have two different sides to them, two different parts. Um, and because of all the horrible things that he, he had done when he was alive, it's much easier for us to just stay with this really dark aspects and, and, and be angry and be mad, right? Because he did terrible things. But to also remember, there was another side of him. There was a wounded side of him. There was a traumatized side of him, right? Um, right. So, but it's hard to have compassion when somebody does something so terrible. Yeah. Right. That almost feeds the cycle of anger and hatred, right? So that no, I don't, I don't know if any soul can go to rest, even the souls of the victims. If, if his soul is holding on so strongly to the memories of what he did and those fractals of the souls he left in, in, in his wake, in his blood wake, that's, there's so many levels of this. You know, I, I, you and I have talked about, I'd like to develop my abilities more. I'd like to be able to sense, but then there's aspects of this, right? and Shane and I have talked to you about this. I, I don't want to do what you do because I see how you are drinking in, not from a, a you know, water fountain, but like a fire hose as this information is coming to you and right. to be in these darker elements and see these stories kind of unfold for yourself. You've, you've actually felt the pain of the, the victims and the killer right. in these situations. Exactly. Right. And yeah. Well, I was just going to say that both, both things are valid. And and that's where I was going to like, I think that we, it's easier for us to think, well, the killer shouldn't feel pain, right? Because look at what they did, but they have their own pain. And so the more cases like this that I work on, the more I learn about myself and also learn that, um, as a medium, my job is to be a voice for the spirit world, right? And to try to have compassion for all sides, for all things, right? But to tell, also tell the story. And the more that I become swayed by any one thing or another, that that's where I have to be careful, right? Because that's where you lose your composure. You're not just simply a channel, you're projecting your own stuff into it now. So uh, it's been a great lesson for me to, to try to learn to be just the channel, to be the neutral, more neutral in some situations. 
unless it's really dangerous, you know? Right. Right. Well, we've been in every kind of possible place together <laughs> doing mm-hmm. investigations now um, where murders have taken place, natural deaths, lots of hate, anger, war, uh, the bloodshed of the native Americans and indigenous tribes. Um, but setting your you know sights into working into a serial killer case, does that, especially two of them back to back, does that have uh, a long-term effect on you? Does it take longer for you to kind of clear yourself of that negative energy when you're done as it would be just to walk into the Morris Jumel mansion and deal with, you know, Mrs. Jumel and Aaron Burr and whoever else is there. Right. Yeah. Well, sure. You know, to, for me, there's a deeper psychological effect, right? Mm-hmm. It's because of the imagery that I'm seeing, um, the energy that I'm feeling. So it's, a, it's harder for me to shake that aspect of those cases. Um, but I mean, I also, I think when you do this work for a while, you learn better boundaries, you're able to compartmentalize better. So I'm glad that I have those tools in my tool belt. But if I compare the the serial killer cases to what we worked on in Holster Files, for example, it is different. It's, it's a, more difficult for me to shake initially. Yeah. And let me address real quickly, because I know people are asking questions now and want to know, when is our project coming out? We can't give any information, folks. Right. All I can say is, yeah, we've worked (laughs) on a project. We've completed it. We filmed it. And as soon as it's out, I promise you don't need to hit Cindy and I up every day asking when it will be released. As soon as we know, we'll let you know. Right. So uh, we can't tell you where it took place or what happened, but uh, it was an interesting series. And as soon as we know more about it, we will certainly inform all of you. Um, now, again, going into this, is it ever overwhelming because you're dealing with these souls that were murdered and suddenly you're this beacon of light? Does it almost ever feel like you're being dragged under? Like, you know, when somebody's drowning and you go out to help them, they kind of start climbing on you and pulling you down. Does that ever occur to your energy and soul entering these kind of locations? I don't know if I would explain it as feeling that way. I think it's, um, again, it's like the longer that I do this work, the better my boundaries are. So I have more control over what I allow to enter my energy field now. Do I have perfect control? Absolutely not. You know, so if I look at it that way, yes, these cases, when I walk into cases like this, it's, it's heavier. It, there is a stronger pull. Um, there's a really strong energetic to it. Um, but look like, I don't want to be jinxing myself by saying, I think I have it under control because watch it not be the next time, you know, but I think, um, I think that, um, it might not be as difficult for me as for somebody who's new into this field or somebody who hasn't done a lot of uh, studying or working in the field. Yeah. I want to cover that in a few moments, but let me ask you then um, when you're dealing with this, um, people want to equate it to the demonic. They want to equate evil to again, compartmentalize it and make sense of it. Do you ever sense that when you deal with these killers, was there something else influencing them or is it simply the product of how they were raised and brought up and and tortured in their own lives. See, it's like, could be all of the above. Right. Mm -hmm. So when we look at, again, the different parts, when somebody has a really strong personal demon, quote unquote, that Mm -hmm. has fragmented and is now the driving force behind a haunting that fragmented part that can be very dark, very aggressive. I can feel, um really scary and really overwhelming and it in mm-hmm. that moment it's it's easy to say oh this is something demonic right even if it's just the really fragmented very dark shadow side of a person that you're experiencing this complete separation like with danny rolling it really was as if i was experiencing you know the the part of him that needed compassion the super dark fragmented very angry piece and then something else so i do think that there was another force behind it as well um and but it was difficult and i'm being honest it was difficult for me in that case to discern what i was uh, between what i was dealing with like which one was it at any given moment you know and then you have to remember too his story for his his life was that that's what was making him do these horrible things and then as a psychic i have to ask myself or as a medium i have to ask myself am i picking up on the lie that he told himself right 
<laughs> so right, trying to validate, yeah. You're like, what am I dealing with here, right? Because it could be all of it, yeah. Were you surprised that, you know, this series of Scream movies were actually based on a, a real historical sense? Because, we, you know, people watch Scream movies. We thought they were just kind of a Wes Craven's fun take on horror movies and the horror movie genre. Right. But to realize that there was, you know, and, and in a lot of his movies, it's true. A lot of his movies are based on reality. What was your takeaway from that? Yeah, I had no idea that it was based on a, on a true true story or lightly based on a true story, you know. Um, so for me, that was really interesting because, you know, a lot of serial killers we know about, I had no idea who Danny Rowling was before I was asked to do this case. Right. Yeah, that's and with as brutal and horrific as a story is, a lot of people didn't know that case. That's right. why I thought it was fascinating that you guys were able to shine a new light on it, give some give some insights into that Um there are a lot of people that watch the paranormal programs um, and, you know, have read Hans Holzer's books and all of this. And now they want to insert themselves into this. And listen, true crime and paranormal are two of the biggest genres out there right now, it seems. And and I know that I've talked to people that are like, yeah, I want to go to the place where John Wayne Gacy was or I want to do this. I want to go where Ed Gein's farm was. Can you find out from Cindy where it was and blah, blah, blah. You know, for people that are starting this journey. And maybe even they've been doing it for a few years. What is your suggestion to people that want to start tapping into that aspect? And I right. mean that seriously, because I want no, them I to hear from somebody. Yeah, I mean, they need to be careful because if you have no boundaries of the spirit world, if you're a novice, if you really have no idea what you're walking into, that you can invite some some pretty scary things into your life. And not even including spirits following you home, but opening yourself up to having energy like impressed upon you that you're leaving with. And I don't even mean like a soul. I mean, just energy, just gunk, right. That can affect your mood, can affect your emotions. If your chakras aren't balanced, if you don't have any sort of concept of how to clear energy, you can be in for it. So if you're going to do those things, my advice is, and I understand why people want to do it. It's exciting. They think it's fun, whatever. If you're going to do it, just make sure you have some tools in your tool belt, have some resources with you for when you come back. If you start to feel weird, have some phone numbers of healers or you know, people that can cleanse energy that you can call or mediums, you know, or take a medium with you that already has experience in the field. I mean, that's another way to do it because you can bring somebody with you that can also teach you while you're there going through it and, and tell you what to do. So I, I wouldn't just jump into it with, with, um, without really thinking about it and having some tools handy. Yeah. I know working with you, you know, you, you don't like to be front loaded with information. When we go hate into location, it. right. Hate you don't it. want to have that influence because I don't know if a lot of people know this, you're human, you're fallible. And if you know something, you, you even begin to question, do I, am I really picking this up or is my imagination starting to yep. run wild because I know the story behind it? Yep. Do you ever have to, when you step away from a case like this, where you've dealt with all of this darkness and you're just having a a bad day do you ever have to step back and go wait is this really me or is this something i'm still carrying from this case yeah no i do i mean it's like i tend to put it on myself first like what mm. am i going through and then i'll be like wait a minute where was i recently <laughs> you know and then <laughs> and then i'm like okay i'm gonna call my friend now who's like i have a really good friend named becca who does amazing energy work and then usually i feel better but i i do have to look at all of those pieces yeah yeah, because you don't, you know, you don't know. And, and again, getting out of your own head, it, 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 I guess that's got to be tough. That's why it's good to have a good support group behind you so that you're, even if you're wondering, am I just imagining this and pinning my, my pissy day on, you know, Ed Gein because I was just dealing with this case and it was overwhelming or am I just having a bad day and right. having somebody there that can work you through this and, and help counsel you and clear it works really well but I, you know that right. brings up an interesting point too if you go in with another medium and they're picking up oh my god ed gein's in the corner and he's got the knife and he's stabbing it <laughs> in the floor and he's staring at me and you're like you're not seeing that are you you know how does that impact or why do you ever question like why the hell am i not seeing what you're seeing right yeah well you know it's it's interesting because when i work with other mediums um I, I tend to believe that we're all going to pick up on what we're meant to pick up on. So one medium actually might be seeing that I might be hearing something that's not connected to that, but it's also relevant to the case. So 
I try not to, I guess what I'm saying is I try not to compare what I'm getting to what another medium is getting because just because they're getting something different doesn't mean that what I'm getting isn't important to the case, right. you know? So I try to look at, we're all bringing our strengths to the table. And and in that sense, it's really fun to, to work with other mediums because we can all um, get maybe a different piece that's that's important. I know I'm being redundant, but it's true. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. I just, I've been in locations where I've been, there's, you know, mediums and, and sensitives that are with, and this one's like, oh my God, there's this man in the corner and blah, blah, blah. And I'm standing next to a, a medium I know and trust. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know what she's seeing. I don't see anything <laughs> over there. There's nothing. I pick up no energy. This guy's over in the other corner looking at us like, what is she seeing? You know, so it is interesting, but maybe she's picking up on a fractal or a piece of what was there. And it may be something totally different than where your energy is and what you're tapping into. Well, and that's really important. Right. And I, 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 and as I think about like, um, you know, the mechanics of mediumship or maybe some theories of why certain mediums pick up on some things and other mediums don't, especially when we're talking about fragments or fractals or whatever, you know, um, there's something in the field of psychology and I probably shouldn't, I'm going to say it anyway, it's called internal family systems. It's trademarks. But anyway, if anybody knows about internal family systems, it's about parts and we all have these different parts. And the way I encounter one part is of somebody's personality is also a reflection of a part of myself that's showing up for that encounter. So if we carry that over into metaphysics and the paranormal, one medium, a part of that medium might be showing up to experience the fragmented part of that soul for a particular reason. And it, right. It could just mm -hmm. be who's showing up in that moment. That's able to experience that piece. So it's a little bit out there, but it still boils down to like, why certain mediums would get some things and other mediums would get other things and why we're not always all seeing the same thing. And it's also, you know, relying upon what we have in our awareness, what we have in our, our, our knowingness, right? Because like, for example, Dave, if you were really good and you knew everything about mechanics and car parts, a spirit will know that about you and they'll come to you and might say, instead of, Hey, I'm the dad, I had cancer. They might say, Hey, I'm the dad. And I drove a 57 Chevy with X, Y, Z. Cause you know that. Mm -hmm. see gotcha. where i'm going mm -hmm. so yeah mm -hmm. they relate something that makes it easier for you to connect and access to exactly exactly sure. um you teach and you you do classes online and in person on how to develop your mediumship skills and to do these things if if i'm coming to you as a blank slate i take your class and i say you know i want to start working serial killer cases in in all honesty what would your advice be to somebody how long should they study and practice and learn this craft before they start injecting themselves into things of that ilk? Yeah. I mean, I would say no, if that was the first thing they came to me with, I'd be like, that's a horrible plan, you know, um, <laughs> because um, mediumship development isn't just, you're not just developing your mediumship. You're also growing as a person and a lot of things, it's like peeling back the layers of an onion. I mean, it's, it's really actually kind of incredible. And I, and I tell people like the more you work on yourself, the better, the more you work on yourselves, the better your mediumship will become. And then the more confident and comfortable you'll be in situations that are pretty scary because you'll have, you'll be more grounded yourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would wait and I would say until you are confident in your ability, until you understand what your ability is, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't touch those cases with a 10 foot pole. I just wouldn't. <laughs> I just, you know, um, because it can be traumatizing and that's the truth. And the other thing that it can do, and I really mean this when I say this, you can be doing a disservice to the spirit world and to the people watching the show, because if you can't differentiate between something that's demonic and something that's an angry spirit, you're going to say the wrong thing. Right. And that's, that's like serious. That's not like a little thing, mm -hmm. you know? So there's that piece too. Tell people how they can sign up for your classes and, and learn mediumship. Yeah. So um, I post all my classes on my social media, Facebook. It's at medium Cindy Kaza. I'm on Instagram. Um, Cindy Kaza, just Google Cindy Kaza. Um, please go to my professional page, which is Medium Cindy Kaza. And then um, my website is cindykaza.com. I'm doing all my live events. They're posted on my website, my classes. So uh, I'm teaching another. When does this air, Dave? 
Nobody knows. Uh, okay. No, it, it, it'll be out in a couple of weeks. So Okay, it's, so it's it'll be good. after my next class. Okay. So yeah, so if you want to st- uh, study with me, I teach a lot of classes on Zoom. You can go to Facebook, Medium Cindy Kaza, CindyKaza.com, or on Instagram. I post all of my classes on those sites. Uh, my live shows are all posted on my website. I'm touring right now again, back out on the road. So I look forward to seeing you all. Thanks for having me, Dave. It's great to talk to you and see you again. And hopefully we'll bump into each other soon. And as soon as that TV show comes out, we promise to let everybody know about it. We have a link on today's program guide for Cindy Kaza. So you can find her, follow her and keep up with what she's doing. Uh, it's always interesting talking to my friends that have these abilities and get to go out into the world and, and utilize these abilities. And, and I think it's important that we heed the words and the, the, the knowledge that they have when they share them with us. The dead don't scare me. The living do. Unless, of course, we're discussing the spirits of serial killers. Entering into the darkness of the mind of a serial killer, walking in their footprints, is not something that that many should do. We're fragile, and without proper skills and training, honing your abilities, you unearth a world of problems for yourself. And in the cases we've described here today, the fractures of the souls of all involved is tragic. Not just the victims, but that of the killers themselves. Now, I'm not making excuses for their actions, but feeding that darkness, sending it hate and anger may just fuel the cycle of destruction. Perhaps you could send the souls, all of them, love, peace, and light to finally find peace wherever they end up. I'd like to thank our guests today, Steve Shippey. You can follow him and his work at the link provided in today's program guide. Thanks to my sister in the supernatural, Cindy Kaza, and find out more about her and her classes, again, with the links provided, and to our buddy Jamie Kaler for yet another entertaining movie review. And thank you all for visiting the Paranormal 60 and allowing me along on your journey. May the darkness be a little more light with the information that we shared here. Be kind to others. You never know how your attitude may influence another and may take them from the dark path that they are set on and put them on a new course. Show people they're worthy of your love and attention, and they may work harder to earn it. The life you save may be your own, my friends. Make sure to like this video and the audio podcast. Subscribe. Tell everyone you know about it. And for all of our new podcast listeners, please rate and review the show. Whichever way that you listen, if there's a rate and review section, please go ahead and do that. Give it five stars. Tell everybody how great it is. The more that you help me spread this and and the more reviews and ratings that show up, the more this gets uh, uh, put out into the popular eye on all of these different services. And I would really appreciate it as your longtime friend and voice of the paranormal and supernatural. We'll see you again next year on the Paranormal 60. Uh, we'll see you right here next week, I should say, on the Paranormal 60 with Dave Schrader. And again, this Friday with the Paranormal 60 Minutes newscast. This program is part of the UnX network. Check out UnX for other great programs just like this one. 